Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Amy Austin, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and today I will be discussing the raft of recent pension consultations with Claire Trott, Head of Pension Strategy at St James's Place, and Jessica List, Pension Technical Manager at Curtis Banks. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so I thought we would start with the joint FCA and TPR paper looking at how to improve um, consumer journeys. Um, so Claire, I don't know if you could briefly explain for us like what this involved. Right. So, so basically, it's it's a really positive thing that the FCA and the TPR are, are looking at how to encourage pension savings. Uh, and it's looking at the different stages uh, within consumer journeys um, and how best to encourage them. So I think this particular one's really looking at sort of early stages and, and starting uh, to uh, in- encourage saving at, at sort of day one and, and sort of day two. So once you've started saving, encouraging more saving. And so is it a good thing that we're seeing collaboration between the two regulators because, you know, it'd be silly for them to kind of look into this issue separately seeing as, you know, it's both their remits? In my opinion, any collaboration between the two uh, is really important. I think when we look at some of the the other, so like the benefit statements we're going to talk about later, you can see there's a definite mismatch when these things are looked at independently. So uh, collaboration, in my opinion, is is massively important in this area. Brilliant. And Jess, what do you think? So I think it's definitely good for for something of this scope because it's difficult to see how you would improve or set out to improve consumers' journeys in general if you're only looking at part of the market. So consumers don't necessarily appreciate that there's different regulatory approaches in different areas and with different pensions. So as Claire said, you need that joined up approach to get that experience across the whole market. And is this an indication that, you know, that they're listening to the industry more, you know, they're going to take these views on board and maybe we'll see something in the future. I think my, my opinion is that they've actually become much better at listening to the industry. Um, our engagement with them on various levels, both in with my role with AMPS uh, and my role at St. James Place, they are definitely engaging more uh, with with providers. And I'm hoping they're also engaging with um, advisors to to get their opinions. So this is just one more thing that is a positive I think you can also start to see, I think it's interesting to see sort of different areas joining up as well. So for instance, this paper sort of talks about finding the best places in the journey to offer support and identifying the best parties to offer that support. And they're sort of the same issues that you can see being tackled in things like the pension wise, stronger nudges and the risk warnings processes. So you can almost sort of see the same issues or I suppose the areas being considered coming up in different contexts and in different areas, almost sort of learning the lessons that we're picking up in different places. Not joined up thinking, surely not, Jess. <laughs> no, well, maybe that's a bit, uh, bit too on the optimistic side. <laughs> <laughs> and what um, can we like realistically expect to see come out of this paper? Or do you think it's kind of, you know, we won't see anything in the immediate future? Maybe it's just to get the ball rolling and to get people thinking. I think it's clear that there are a lot of different issues and different areas that would need to be addressed to see, I suppose, very large scale change. Um, you know, the paper touched on some very big, very complex societal issues that aren't necessarily just pensions or finance related. So I think it's important that we're asking the questions and we keep looking, you know, we're looking for those ways to improve. But 
um, you know, it's probably not a case of just asking questions and finding a couple of sort of quick, simple fixes to just solve customer journeys and outcomes in one go. Oh, I totally agree. I think call, call for, calls for input are are very much a sort of a, a, a data collection tool to to drive further consultation uh, it, generally because you'll get such a diverse response um, that hopefully that will drive out further questions to make better decisions to actually uh, change the industry for the positive. Sure. Well, we'll leave the FCA and TPR alone for now. Um, <laughs> now we'll go on to DWP. Uh, so they've put on, they've put out like two consultations in recent weeks and um, they've been quite busy. I think we'll start on annual benefit statements. Um, Jess, I don't know if you want to kind of quickly run through what's like the latest we've seen here. Yeah, so this paper's effectively looking at the, as you said, the annual statements that savers in DC schemes that are being used for auto-enrollment um, and trying to find so it's a way to make them simpler and more consistent between uh, the different providers so that if people do have POTS in sort of several different auto-enrollment schemes, it's a lot easier for them to, um, to sort of see the information that they're getting and compare that information. Sure. And do you think that this goes far enough to help more savers engage? I can definitely see how it will help so for people that are in that situation where they've been with different employers and have several of those DC auto-enrollment schemes, because it will be a lot easier to look at a handful of sort of quite similar, quite comparable documents. But I think the potential issue is when we sort of touched on a little while ago as well, a lot of people might also have you know, other DC non-auto-enrollment schemes and potentially DB schemes, and they're still going to get potentially a lot of annual statements with quite different layouts, different information. You know, some of it because of the types of schemes they are, but you know, it goes back to what Claire said before. You know, if you're having different approaches with some of these where they only affect different parts of the market, it doesn't necessarily translate into a sort of whole change for an end consumer that's got different pensions in different areas. I have to agree. I mean, the the areas that so the Jess works in and the the requirements for disclosure and transparency that's been forced upon SIP providers, um, particularly and obviously other other schemes uh, regulated by the FCA for costs and charges. You know, that's making things so much more complex. One for them to produce the statements, uh, and two for the clients to understand what they're paying because it's got down to such a a level of detail that I've even looked at them and thought, you know, what does this charge relate to? And we're getting down to transaction costs within funds that you you don't see because actually those transaction costs are involved within the fund value. So that you won't see any of that on these uh, DWP statements, uh, which is a, is a massive disparity. Um, mm. The DWP turned around and said, that's way too complex. It will confuse people. And the FCA said, no, we should have transparency because if you don't have transparency, it will confuse people. Mm. So <laughs> we're back to this, you know, what, what will people understand? Um, I suppose when we get the pensions dashboard uh, eventually, then that, that might make life a little bit easier. Yeah, because surely people, you know, the average Joe will will want to see, you know, costs and charges and what, what's going on. Like, I feel like at a bare minimum, that's kind of what they understand. Like Everyone, you know, understands what they're paying for and what they're not and, you know, wants to see this breakdown. I, I can just see that people are going to be asking for it otherwise. So do you think it's, you know, a right or a wrong thing that they've done this? 
I, th- I think it's um, it's what do you mean by costs and charges? And that's where we've got to sort of the the, the issues here. So because the DWP and the, and the auto enrolment schemes are actually relatively simply charged and, and generally, are, you know, they've got caps and things. So you, you're not digging down the uh, sort of the underlying detail within these. And so you can quite easily show this is how much you've paid within the year. Whereas if you're looking at the flip side and the ones the FCA requirements is you've got to show the how much you're paying for the product, how much you're paying for uh, an underlying fund and what that fund is paying for each transaction that it does and then roughly estimating the total. So they're, they're very different things to what am I just you know, outwardly paying for my product and my funds to how far into the product are we going to try and explain everything. I think the simpler statements are are more important because actually people want to say, what did I put in? What have I got? You know, what have I made? What have I lost? Yeah. That's to, to, you know, the what the actual cost, the underlying cost isn't as important as how much money have I made because it's, To me, when I look at a statement, and I I should understand it all, when I look at a statement, I want to say, I paid this in, I've now got this. Oh, that's good. Um, The increase is X percent. Brilliant. Um, Whereas if you start going and down to all the nitty gritty pounds and pence, it it starts you, it gets you a bit confused. Um, yeah. And you think, actually, we work in this industry. And if I'm confused, God, God help some other people. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Jess? What do you think? Yeah, I think... As you said, the bottom line is it is important for people to know you said, how much they're paying. It's just, and I suppose it's probably also important that that detail is available for the people that do want it, if people do want to look down to that granular level. But the question is always just, you said, how you go about that, what the best way to achieve it is, and when and how to present that to different audiences and, and who's asking for it. Yeah, I guess it's just mainly important for, you know, like switching and being able to, you know, determine who's the best and, you know, where they're going to get the best value for money, etc. But yeah, I guess right now it doesn't need to be there. You know, we need simple, simple, simple. Um, But, you know, they've shortened these annual statements and they're saying they're going to make them, you know, more simple, more easy to understand. But do we really need to like drill into these more and make sure that there's absolutely just no jargon in there? You know, if they're using words such as uncrystallized, you know, people aren't going to know what this means. You know, how many people are going to have to Google that term? I'm going to say a lot. I think the plain English campaign is is really important to me, and I I really feel strongly about trying to explain things within pensions in simple terms. Admittedly, I've tried uh, to try and explain some of these things in simple terms, but the legislation is so complex that how do you describe um, crystallized and uncrystallized in a in a format that someone will will understand? You could say taken tax free cash, not taken tax free cash. Well, they might not have taken tax free cash because they, they might have chosen not to. It's it's rare, but it does happen. You know, so it's it's very difficult to make it easy. Um, so I feel their pain. Um, mm. But I think you're right. I think to me, making it clearer and easier to understand if you made it slightly longer to achieve that rather than saying two sides of A4, it would be more important. To, to me that you know a, a brief explanation as to to what things are gives that that added reassurance yeah mm. and Jess I know we've spoken about this before haven't we yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I think you said jargon is such a difficult area because I completely agree with Claire I think trying to make pensions easier in the plain English is really important and a lot of pension terminology can be really off-putting and a big barrier for consumers 
but you do have challenges with that as well. You know, if you leave everyone to try not to use pension terms, another difficulty is you then have different providers using lots of different terms and using lots of different ways to explain things. So rather than now looking at lots of statements that use the same one term that you've got to look up, you could have five different explanations that make it sound slightly different. Yeah. Um, and you know, as Claire said, at the end of the day, those terms and those concepts are in the underlying rules. So there's only so far, so, so far you can sort of escape using them. You know, for instance, if you're talking to someone who's saying, you know, they want to take a chunk of money from their pension, at some point, the provider needs to know whether that's drawdown or an uncrystallized funds lump sum. You need to know how you're processing it and what you're doing with that. I appreciate that's a little bit um, away from this issue as we're talking here about, you know, annual benefit statements and for people that are still saving where there's potentially a little bit less in terms of terminology. But it's still you said that wider issue of how do you sort of solve that issue of pension terminology potentially being a barrier. And let's move now on to one of the big topics in pensions, which is scams and, you know, how they're going to be tackled. So, Claire, we'll start with you. There are now talks about there being, you know, being able to halt transfers when there's, you know, signs of a scam happening. Um, what's the latest here? Well, so the uh, the pension scams consultation closes um, uh next week, I think it is. So it's quite a short one. And it's there to um, basically either red flag transfers or amber flag transfers, or just green flag them through. Um, with the amber flags, then they're going to be referring them to get uh, further advice from, from, from pensions wise and, and in cases of sort of like proving that they, they've had this. And the red flags is just, you know, stop the transfer. Um, I still personally think there's a lot of work to be done in this area. Um, just reading through the consultation that um, things that would be a perfectly valid transfer you know will be amber flagged just because it's something slightly out out of the baby maybe the original trustees remit they won't necessarily understand it and I think it's 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 quite a risk to put the responsibility on the trustees because the whole point of this is to try and stop the trustees from feeling responsible for sending money to a scam but what they're going to end up doing is being uh, put basically gatekeepers so the gatekeeper could be you know the the it's a, an investment they don't understand so they say it looks like something that might be really complex and not appropriate then the the trustees aren't necessarily investment experts so how would they they know um i personally think that the big bit missing from all of this is regulated financial advice mm. because actually the regulator should be regulating the advisors and if they're being given regulated financial advice then surely it's the regulator's responsibility to make sure that those advisors are doing the right thing not the trustees of the original scheme so that i think is a bit of a mismatch uh, because that doesn't really factor into it it's all about the receiving scheme. It's all about the underlying investments um, rather than have they actually properly taken, uh, you know, regulated financial advice and going to a regulated product, um, yeah. be that regulated by the TPR or by the FCA. Um, so there are exemptions obviously surrounding um, basically dual regulated FCA uh, PRA firms. But um, if you're looking at someone who's just regulated by the TPR and then it's a SAS, for example, and a bit of a pet thing, um, then, you know, that's that's not necessarily going to, to, to go through easy or even be, you know, it could even be red flagged. Yeah. And I guess many like providers, trustees, et cetera, they're going to 
be really, you know, they, I think they're just going to be ambering so much because they just want to be able to make sure they've got it right because of the threat of, you know, action being taken against them or anything like that, you know. They're not going to push something through and go, oh, yeah, that's fine, that's green. Like, I know if it was personally me, I would be, you know, double-checking, triple-checking now <laughs> just to make sure that everything was fine just in case something horrid came my way afterwards. Yeah, but it's quite interesting because the majority of court cases have always been about the transfers not going ahead yeah. rather than transfers being allowed to go <laughs> ahead, which is, which is you know, think, actually, uh, is this the right way to go? And actually, a lot of pension scams these days are not the same as they were. So this feels a little bit looking too far back in time mm. as to what used to happen, you know. Mm. So, you know, transfers used to go ahead. They used to go sort of out and they, they go out on investment scams. Actually, now the bigger risk is taking benefits and people, you know, taking the money out and investing it somewhere where no one's keeping an eye on it, um, which is obviously another another issue entirely. Yeah. So this feels just a little bit late to the party. Yeah. And Jess, do you think that this could have the potential to maybe like infuriate savers, you know, where a transfer might be completely legitimate, completely the right thing to do? You know, their advisor has been like, yep, sure, go ahead. And then they get to this stage and then they're being amber or red listed. Yeah, I think, I mean, the proposals do seem to be very much trying to filter out sort of normal transfers that the majority of cases would be. It, it seems that they are trying to make sure that the majority of people who said are just transferring to, you know, well-recognised scheme or one where they have clearly got that employment link. So perhaps it's a bit optimistic, but it seems like for the people that you said are trying to do something quite unusual or niche that would maybe get caught by these even if it is legitimate you'd hope there'd be some understanding that it's trying to um you know protect the people that have actually been caught out by something in this area and that you know it's, it is there for the protection yeah but you know we have seen with other measures before that if there is something that does hold up something that is legitimate and something that you said is is sort of for protection it's not always seen that way we do risk those sort of negative headlines um you know we saw that with things like the the transfer requirement for the thirty thousand pounds or or more you know people do get very upset if they are trying to do you know genuine legitimate things with their pension savings and are seeing these as sort of unnecessary hoops or providers being heavy-handed or trying to prevent them from moving their money you know it's all sort of those those risks that that come up with things like this whether or not that means that we shouldn't try and do these things to protect the people that could be caught out by by scams and lose their money, I suppose is is sort of the argument and just trying to find that balance. Sure, I, I guess. I'll oh, go and start. I, I think <laughs> I think the balance is is the key um, here because it's if it tips too far one way or you know if it's too lenient or it's too far one way i think think my my issue is it's it shouldn't be the trustee's responsibility mm. um it's it's one more thing that you're putting on on them that should be regulated you know should be going to regulated schemes should be going to having regulated financial advice and then you're putting the the onus on someone's pensions guidance where they can't they can they can tell you what a scam is and they can tell you how it works, but they can't tell you whether you should or shouldn't transfer because that would be advice. So you, you're asking someone who's had, you know, um, maybe had advice, has an advisor, and, and they're saying, actually, you've got to go and speak to these people who can't actually advise you. So, you know, it's it's a difficult one. And I really think scams are, it's so important to try and protect people. But mm -hmm. which angle do we come at it from uh, to try and, you know, 
maintain the industry for for those people who want to do what they want to do perfectly legitimately. Yeah, I guess why that's, you know, why we have consultations to have a chat about it and try and get to the best outcome. Yes, indeed. Well, Claire, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next week where we will discuss other goings on in the industry. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.